Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast. I am here with the only two brothers who are actually not here with me. That is right. Tim and Michael are taking a well-needed week off. Uh, Not too much going on in the fantasy football landscape at the moment, especially in redraft, which is what we focus on. Uh, The draft, the rookie draft is soon to come. Free agency has picked up some steam. A lot of the signings we talked about last week, if you want to check out that podcast. So for now, what we wanted to do was give you a little treat. Uh, Throughout the offseason, we've done the real recognize real segment. In that segment, we have talked with different experts who we recognize to be real, who we think are some of the best in the industry. And what we did was bring them on the show and let them talk to you guys while we interviewed them about fantasy football. It's great. It covers many different topics. What we're doing today is putting together all of those interviews so that you can hear them all in one spot. Uh, We're going to start with Ryan McDowell and end with Andy Singleton going back all the way to December. We're doing this in reverse chronological order. What I'm going to do now, actually, is if you have a certain topic you want to focus on or a certain person you want to listen to, I'm going to give you the timestamps for those podcasts so that you can enjoy the podcast and listen to what you would like to listen to. We suggest listening to everyone, but I know that this is running a little long, so that's why I'm offering you some timestamps. So without further ado, let me do that. We're going to start with Ryan McDowell in which he talks about dynasty football. You're not going to want to miss that if you're starting in a dynasty league this season or if you have interest in it. That's at the four-minute mark. After that, we have Mike Beers, whose focus is best ball. Again, if you want to focus on best ball or want to start a best ball league, Mike Beers is someone you want to listen to. That's going to be at the 25-minute mark. After that, we have Joseph Robert, also known as the fantasy football counselor. He was on to talk about free agent acquisitions uh a few of the acquisitions obviously have not been made when we talked to him that was in the past so Le'Veon Bell wasn't on the team yet Antonio Brown wasn't traded yet stuff like that but we still have a lot of great information there uh talking about teams talking about certain players stuff of that sort so you'll still want to check that out regardless after that is Brendan Leister uh who works for PFF and we talk about young quarterbacks with him in the NFL at the 58 30 mark Following him is Kyle Richardson at the 1 hour and 22 minute mark. We bring him in to talk about coaching changes such as Adam Gase, Matt LaFleur, and so on. Again, something that will be useful whether we, uh, whether you listen to it in the past, want to listen to it again, or now. Coaching changes, coaches play a huge role in fantasy football. And lastly, we end with Andy Singleton uh, at the 1 hour and 36 minute mark. This one's a little bit more fun. This goes back to December where we talk about the end of season awards. So this will allow you to reminisce about your championship teams, about all the good times you had last season, and it'll be a great person to listen to, Andy Singleton, coming from New York City like us. So that is going to be the order of the interview mashup, and we hope you enjoy it. If you cannot get enough fantasy football, even after listening to this podcast, we're here to help. You can go to brotoff.com or brotofantasy.com. It'll bring you to the same place where you can find the same amazing product that we bring to you that's right i'm not biased at all i'm just calling it amazing because i think it's amazing uh our articles are there i've written some michael's written some we're gonna write more tim is gonna write some the brodo dugout fantasy rankings are there for fantasy baseball and then of course there are true values true values have been recently updated to add home and road splits and to also put scoring projections uh for those who did not necessarily know how to put the values to a value. Now you do. Now you can see what it means and how many projected points this person scores with this quarterback on the road, at home, so on and so forth. It's going to be very useful going into next season. Use this tool that not many people know about just yet before they do. Until then, catch up on Fantasy Football with a few great listens while we interview them. We hope you enjoy, and we will see you next week.
It is now time for the Real Recognize Real segment where we bring on some of our favorite fantasy follows across the Twitter and just the fantasy football world. Uh, Today we are happy to welcome on Ryan McDowell. Ryan is a true Dynasty Fantasy Football League expert. He's a writer on multiple platforms, including DynastyLeagueFootball.com, Roto World, and Dynasty Dynasty Scouts. He also hosts two Dynasty Football pods, the Player Rated pod and the Dynasty Blueprint pod. We're very excited to have him on. Welcome, Ryan. How are you doing today? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, very excited to have you on. So we're going to dive into, as uh, you're aware, and the listeners probably know because this is uh, towards the end of the podcast, uh, we're going to get into Dynasty because uh, there's no one we'd rather ask questions about it to than you because uh, we respect all the work you do in the field. So uh, we'll let Michael take it away. Hey, Ryan. Uh, so we just wanted to start off with a quick question about how you got into Dynasty in general compared to Redraft, because Redraft is still the more popular style of game, but what was it that got you into Dynasty, and what made you really love Dynasty and focus on that? Sure, I'm one of the weird ones. I actually started playing Dynasty uh, before I I played any Redraft. Uh, A friend of mine at work, I'm I'm a teacher, and uh, a friend of mine just always was talking about this fantasy football league he was in. And, of course, I was aware of that. I I knew what it was, but I had never played. And uh, this specific league that he he would tell me about was uh, a college buddies league of his that that was the Dynasty League. And he would talk about trades he would make and draft picks and things like that. And uh, just just growing up playing Madden like so many of us have, that, that intrigued me. And uh, eventually a spot came open in that league and, and that was how I how I kind of got my feet wet and it, it uh, quickly grew from there that uh, and became a passion of mine. That's very interesting actually. I've, you might be the first person I've met who uh, started their fantasy life in the dynasty in a dynasty league because that's usually for more of the uh, advanced dynasty gamers because you have to dive into college stats and things of that sort as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, at the time, it, it didn't seem weird to me. I didn't know what I was doing necessarily, but, uh, but uh, yeah, just again, hearing hearing kind of his stories, it sounded like something I would be interested in, and and maybe you know maybe that's why it has become um, you know such a big part of my life. Honestly, honestly, is because uh, just doing it year round, not not just during the regular season, is is kind of all I've known from the beginning. Before we get into the specifics of Dynasty, I have one question, because uh, we had Mike Beers on last week, and he's a best ball uh, expert. My question for you, I feel like they're polar opposites of each other. Best ball, you you don't really care about your team at all. You draft it, and then you see how it did at the end of the season. Whereas Dynasty, it's basically your baby. You take care of it for years. Uh, Do you venture in best ball at all, or are you just strict on the Dynasty game? Well, I, I've played a little best ball, certainly some some MSL tens and things, and and beers is great. He he obviously knows his stuff. Um, I, I've actually done a couple of best ball dynasty leagues. Uh, obviously, a, a, a mix up of the two. Interesting. And honestly, I, I I don't really enjoy those, kind of because of what you're talking about there. You you draft your team, and then during the regular season, you you don't really do anything else. Um, you know, no waivers, no trades, anything like that. So it's, uh, it, it can be frustrating seeing your team struggle and, and it feels like there's nothing you can do. So uh, I've, I've certainly done some best balls, but pre- 
definitely line up dynasty leagues. Another uh, league that seems to be, be becoming more popular, I feel like two quarterback leagues used to be po- more popular in the past, kind of died off, and now super flex leagues are becoming more and more popular. Are you into any super flex dynasty leagues, or you try to keep it more standard? No, I'm, I'm in a ton of super flex leagues, actually, and uh, some of my, my favorite leagues I'm in are, are some that I actually uh, commish, and they're, they're all super flex. So I, I really think that's probably the way all leagues should be. Uh, just, you know, in your typical one-quarterback league, the, the quarterbacks just have almost no value at all. So in a super flex league, and, and I think this is true whether you're talking about a, a redraft league or dynasty, um, I, I think super flex is the way to go. It adds so much value to the quarterback position, uh, and, and obviously that adds more players of value to the league, more trade assets, etc. So on that topic, I want to ask you um, your opinion on the quarterback position. Specifically, let's say Patrick Mahomes. Uh, someone starting a dynasty startup this season. They hear this podcast, they decide they want to get into dynasty. In a super flex league, where are you taking him? Would you consider him with a 101? Uh, in a one quarterback league, where are you taking him? In a super flex, I think he has to be in consideration for the for that top overall pick, I would still probably go with Saquon Barkley at the top, uh, but I think Mahomes would be the second pick uh, at, at, at worst. Uh, one quarterback league, it's definitely a little tougher. Um, you just have to decide how much of a difference maker is he really. You know, obviously, if you're looking just at the past season, it was it was a huge gap between him and the quarterback, too. I think that was, I believe that was Matt Ryan. Uh, and, and he gave you that that huge weekly advantage. Obviously, we can't ex- expect that to continue to that degree, um, but I'm, I'm fine taking him in the third round of a one-quarterback league. Interesting. Uh, our listeners are mainly redraft football players because that's what we focus on. We're a redraft fantasy podcast. So a, broad, a little bit of a broad question here, but do you have any tips or like starting points for dynasty players, something that they could, uh, something that they could wrap their head around just to start about dynasty football. Sure. So I, I think the the biggest challenge when you're moving from redraft to dynasty is just understanding player value because, of course, in a redraft league, our our mindset is always just win this year, and and we keep playing that way until we realize that it might not happen this year, um, and and then just pack it up and prepare for the next season in dynasty it's it's completely different because your goals can be uh, different from just winning which which sounds weird but you you have that long-term view and that brings so many uh, so many more players into the picture as far as having value so for somebody somebody making that transition i think you have to get a good hold of player value as early as possible the way I would suggest doing that is to study ADP. I uh, collect and uh, I collect ADP for Dynasty League football for that side. I've been doing that for years. Manage some mock drafts every month, and you know I'm I'm a little biased probably, but to me that's that's one of the biggest, most important tools a Dynasty player can have, just to see those differences in value from player to player, from position to position. And, and you see so many young players, especially rookies, uh, having some significant dynasty value. And 
that might look a little weird to a, a redraft player, but that, that's the way it is, and that's one of those things you have to understand when you make that leap. You know, you mentioned long-term value, and that's really the difference between Dynasty and everything else. You really need to look long-term. So what I wanted to hear most from you about is rookie picks. Um, they must be terrible uh, so, and extremely hard to gouge. Uh, there are a lot of people who I know value them very highly. There are others who would rather trade their rookie uh, for an established player in the league. What's your take on rookie picks? I know this is broad, but... Yeah, no, that's okay. I, uh, and what you said is exactly right. There's there's many dynasty players and, and a lot that I have a lot of respect for who would say, trade your picks every year. Trade them for, for an established player, and, and that's how you're going to profit. And, and I... I certainly see that. I mean, if you can trade, if you can trade your 101 right now for Julio Jones, which you you might be able to do, that, that's a possible trade that could take place. Then that looks like a, a great deal you would have to make. But again, it's it's those different goals. If I have a team that I'm certain is not going to compete in 2019, I'm probably not making that trade. Uh, I'm probably either looking to. Um, acquire another player who's a little bit younger, or I'm just going to keep that pick and, and stick with the youth. Um, so I'm I'm one that likes to collect picks in general. I, I want to get as as many young players on my team as possible. I I, I kind of trust my um, you know my evaluations of those players and and the the other folks that I um, that I kind of go to as as sources for these incoming rookies and, and other young players. So the, the more use I can acquire, uh, I, I just feel like I'm setting myself up for the future. How, uh, to what extent do you feel you have to be knowledgeable for younger players to succeed in dynasty? Because I see that a popular point on, uh, on Twitter is that people are saying the 2019 draft is relatively weak, but the 2020 draft looks like it might be super strong. So try to, stockpile 2020 picks and if you could trade a 29 to 2019 pick for a 2020 pick do that but i'm sure there's a lot of people out there who don't even know a single name from a guy who's supposed to be drafted in the 2020 draft so how deep do you go into looking at these future nfl players well personally i i would say i go pretty deep into it uh, i play in several leagues that are uh debbie leagues i'm not sure if you guys are <laughs> are familiar with that or if your listeners are, but uh, essentially those are leagues that uh, allow you to uh, to draft college players before they even get to the NFL. So some of those players that are in the 2020 class, 2021 class, even kids that I, I guess as of today are still in high school, they're going to be freshmen in college next year. We're drafting those guys and putting them on our team now and just waiting the one, two, three years until they get to the NFL, I'm, I'm actually in several leagues like that. And uh, if, if you think the hit rate for rookie picks is is kind of <laughs> ugly, you should see it for Devin picks. It, it's, it's pretty uh, scary sometimes. But that's part of the fun. It, it kind of opens up, um, it, you know, a whole new part of the game. Not only do you kind of have to follow uh, college football, but even recruiting and, and in, in some cases high school football, which – feels a little crazy. I, I don't necessarily count the high school players, but um, I, I know some who do, and, and I guess that just adds to the fun. 
Yeah, Jason and myself are relatively new to Dynasty. We've just been playing for a couple of years now. We were focusing mainly on redraft before that. And then when I heard about uh, Devi Leagues, like you just pointed out, I was like, man, these people have to be really going hard if they're looking into this far drafting guys like uh, Equanimous St. Brown last year in Devi Leagues and things like that. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And uh, But what's your favorite style of game? Like, Do you prefer Dynasty or do you prefer Devi Leagues? I know there's leagues with taxi squad rosters and things, practice squad rosters, things of that sort. What's your uh, ideal Dynasty or Devi format? Yeah, so I, I actually created um, a, a league. I guess I could say I created a format in some ways, but I created a league several years ago, five or six years ago, and I called it the Kitchen Sink League because essentially I tried to take a lot of different rules and, and settings that I enjoyed in different leagues, and I tried to combine them uh, in, into this one league. And it's worked, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, it's worked really well. So it's uh, the, the Kitchen Sink League, are Debbie, so you have that taxi squad where you can roster college players. Uh, it's an auction league, a contract league. It's super flex that we talked about earlier. It's tight end premium, so it gives some value to the tight ends as well. Um, just basically a, a whole lot of uh, different rules and settings rolled into one. So that that's become my favorite format. Uh, I'm going to get a little more specific now. So uh, we created on our website – a statistic known as true values uh, for targets and throws. And really, it was just to quantitate a value of targets that players see. A name that gets come up a lot is Corey Davis. We are infamous Corey Davis haters. And not necessarily due to his talent, but just because his targets from Marcus Mariota aren't very... Um, aren't very... The word I'm looking for is... Uh, valuable. Valuable is the word I'm looking for. So, and when we calculated the numbers with the true values, it came out that it was true. Corey Davis was no better than a wide receiver three. So, my question here is, when you're looking at players like Corey Davis, or maybe even Devontae Parker type, uh, how much do you factor in their quarterback as compared to their potential uh, just with raw ability? Yeah, Corey Davis is is a tough one. I think when he came into the league, he was already kind of a, a... a dynasty favorite. Um, I know in, in many of the leagues I was in, he was the top overall pick <clears throat> ahead of, uh, you know, ahead of Fournette and McCaffrey and, and all the running backs that were in that class. Uh, and that, that certainly hurts now. <clears throat> but um, as far as Davis, I, I think when you're in the regular season, you know, you're in the midst of, of the regular season and you're setting lineups every week and, and you realize I can't start. Corey Davis, and it's not necessarily because of him, but it's because of Marcus Mariota and, and this uh, this Titans offense that's so frustrating. Um, and then he starts to lose value. So we saw Davis throughout the regular season, his dynasty value based on our ADP and based on trades we were watching is, is slowly dropping. And then the offseason gets here, and, and around this time of year, we kind of forget about all those negative things. We forget that we couldn't check that box on on Sunday morning and actually uh, start him in our lineups. And we look at his age and we look at, um, you know, market share, which is, which was a nice one for him. He saw plenty of targets, as you guys said, uh, whether whether they were quality targets or not. And and then his value starts to rise again. So that's, 
that's kind of an ugly cycle we see. And, and at some point, you just have to decide, is this going to end? Is he going to break out? Are they going to make the quarterback changes? Is something going to really happen to change this player's value? In terms of positional, all right, so I'm more of a running back guy, and Michael's more of a wide receiver guy. Uh, he'd probably draft Nuke over Melgo, and I'd draft Melgo over Nuke. Uh, when you're dealing with your rookie drafts, do you tend to favor one position over the other? I, I don't really. Um, I I guess I I guess I would say wide receiver if I had to pick. But I mean, you guys you guys know how this trend has gone over the last few years because we saw the same thing, uh, whether it was redraft or dynasty, that the running back position three or four years ago was just uh, just a disaster. And outside of one or two guys, you, you didn't really, you know, you couldn't really trust any of them as your first-round picks. And we saw we saw wide receivers really start to dominate the first round, um, especially in Dynasty. Because now not only are they the safer bets, but they've got the, the age on their side in many cases. We're talking about PPR leagues in many cases. And wide receivers have really, um, really had the advantage there. And we're talking uh, three or four seasons ago, I guess. And then we kind of had that shift over the past two or three years. Um, and and now running back is kind of back in the spotlight. It's, it's trendy again. It's, it's a safe spot again. So to me, in rookie drafts, I'm not necessarily drafting players um, – because I have a need at running back or receiver or any other spot. I'm, I'm just trying to acquire as much talent as I can. So I don't necessarily uh, lean one way or the other, but uh, I'm, I'm still kind of stuck in that uh, wide receiver heavy uh, build from a few years ago. In your dynasty leagues where you're able to keep players for basically their whole career if you want to, is there a certain time uh, where you just decide – where when you're watching these players, you could see maybe they're declining or something where you decide to move on, or maybe someone like Eddie Lacy, for instance, when he was one of the best running backs in the league that one year on the Packers, maybe seeing he was at the top of his game, not trusting in that and selling him at his highest point. Do you tend to like sell players at their highest point, try to ride them out for as long as possible, or does it really just depend on the player and situation? Yeah, I think it's really player-specific on that one. Um, I would say in general, I try to sell a player um, a, a year too early rather than a year too late, and, and everyone would probably say that. It's, it's just uh, the, the tricky part is determining when that is. Um, so I, I think it's actually it's probably too late to sell guys like A.J. Green and Dynasty already. Um, you're not going to be able to sell A.J. Green and get a, a guy like Mike Evans or or Juju Smith-Schuster. That's just not going to happen. If you're selling green, you're probably looking at Corey Davis or DJ Moore or Cooper Cup, someone like that. Um, and, and most would view that as, as a major drop-off. So if you don't sell soon enough, at some point you just have to hold and ride it out. All right, last question, Ryan. Who is your uh, darling right now? Who do you have on, the most, on most of your teams? Oh man, um, I don't I don't know the exact numbers as far as my my shares. I'm in I'm probably in 15 dynasty leagues, something like that. So uh, definitely, who I 
is, is kind of my favorite. My guy right now is, is Juju. And, and again, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would say that. Um, but he's a guy I had rostered uh, on those Debbie leagues when he was still at USC. And then coming out as, as a rookie around this time of year, a couple of years ago, it, it didn't look so great for him. There was a lot of Juju hate. We, we kind of forget that now. Um, but he was, uh, he was a player who fell into the second round of our dynasty rookie drafts in a lot of cases. And, and now he, you know, he, it looks like he's going to take over in Pittsburgh. If we, if we see this Antonio Brown trade. So he's the guy, if, if I'm starting a dynasty, I guess other than Saquon Barkley, he's probably the one I would want to start with. Certainly not a bad choice. Thank you again, Ryan. That was Ryan McDowell. Uh, he's a writer on multiple platforms, Dynasty League Football, Roto World, and Dynasty Scouts. He has two podcasts, uh, Player Rated Pod and the Dynasty Blueprint. Uh, Ryan, would you like to tell the people where they can find you and all that good stuff? Sure. Uh, other, than, other than the things you guys mentioned, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at RyanMC23 and, and doing lots of work for DLF and, and a few other sites uh, this offseason as well. All right. Thank you so much, Ryan. It was great having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. See you, Ryan. It is now time for our Real Recognized Real segment on Brodo. We only bring in the best minds in fantasy so that we can recognize the real ones in this uh, industry that's getting a little crowded, and Mike Beards is definitely one of them. Uh, one of the premier fantasy followers on Twitter today, if you're not following him, you're missing out. He's on Rotoviz. He's creating best ball charts for ADP and roster construction for FFPC, Fanball, Fantrax, and Draft. He's often sharing his charts for free on his Twitter account, so make sure to give those a look. He hosts a Slack community called the Best Ball Command Center for all your best ball needs. He's a Fantasy Sports Writers Association member. He won the 2017 FFPC Pros vs. Joe's Draft. Basically, this guy constantly works on his fantasy skills. I'm surprised he even had time for us today. How you doing, Mike? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, no, I'm always happy to uh, talk best ball and uh, fantasy football in general. So, awesome. So happy to be here. Great. Glad to hear it. So we are a redraft um, fantasy sports uh, podcast. podcast. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. So we wanted to use this episode to give our people a better view on what best ball is. Uh, that's what we discussed earlier. So um, more of a general sense, what would you say, what attracted you most to best ball since that's what you ended up focusing on? Uh, yeah, so when, uh, when I first got into it uh, four or five years ago now, um, it, there were a couple of things. One is that, you know, I like... I like trading. I like managing my teams. But the nice thing about best ball is you get to do so many drafts. I mean, like, you know, the the draft is the entire thing. Um, and then your team runs at the end of the year. You see who won. Um, and that in itself, uh, you know, if you're only going to do one league, yeah, I would sign up for a regular redraft league. But I really like drafting. And, uh, you know, I end up doing – you know, 50 to 100 to 200 of these over the off season um, keeps me in tune with uh, with ADP and everything, um, and that so that's the really nice thing about us. What drew me to it, and then what made me really dive into it was people didn't nobody really done the work on these things. I mean, there's you know there's a structure to the draft. Uh, there's you know a lot of the 20 rounds, 28 rounds, 18 rounds, whatever it is. There's you have to draft. Uh, the right number of players at each position or your team ends up, you know, totally messed up. 
Um, and you know, there's a ton of data on it. So I just put in the work to figure out what the right way to do that was. I, one thing I'm going to point out that you just said about the position. So one per one thing that a lot of people who don't play best ball have trouble figuring out is how many players at each position should I have? Uh, what's your take on positional uh, values? Yeah. So it's, there isn't one exact answer. Like there's not a, you know, you need to have five running backs exactly or, or whatever, but, and it changes depending on where you're playing. So like the FFPC, they have 28 rounds in their drafts and they have kickers. Whereas, you know, on fan ball, they have 20 rounds and they, uh, they don't have kickers. Um, but, uh, you know, generally speaking, if you're looking at an 18 to 20 round draft, um, something like five to six running backs is probably going to do well um, at quarterback. You're talking about two or three almost exclusively. Um, you got to have two because you got bye weeks and, you know, you have some injuries and everything. Um, and, you know, the thing about baseball is there's no waiver wire, right? If your guy gets hurt, he's, he's, you just lost him. All right, Mike, so you're discussing a little bit about roster construction and certain limits you set yourself, but is there, like, a certain limit that you set where you don't go over no matter what? So you said, like, uh, five to six wide receivers, but say you already have, like, seven wide receivers on your team, and there's that one wide receiver that fell that you really think has a good shot at having some big weeks. Will you take the eighth wide receiver, or do you generally just stick to the game plan for your best ball drafts? Yeah, so they, they all play out differently. So, um, you know, they, and these aren't hard limits. Uh, you know, with wide receivers, you know, seven to eight is the sort of the sweet spot. But if there's a ninth one, you know, available who I really like, it's going to depend on the rest of the roster, right? Like if, if I only have one quarterback and I've only got one pick left, I don't care how much I like that wide receiver. I got to take a second quarterback. You can't just have one quarterback. Uh, the same with the defense or a tight end. You can't just have one. So it's about what you're giving up to get that extra guy that you really like. Um, so usually I'm staying within these ranges. Again, the five, six running backs, seven, eight wide receivers, and two to three at the, the onesie positions. Um, and I'm not going to stray from that unless there's a really good opportunity. And unless my roster is like already set up to, to handle it. you know, I'm not making some huge trade-off. Mike, I'm going to ask you... Uh specific question about a type of player so a lot of people we see be labeled as best ball players like a ted ginn right uh he'll have big weeks so it's good to have him in best ball because he's gonna be in your starting lineup and score the most points in those weeks uh how how do you feel about these players because sure that's the case but then if you look at the flip side they're only performing in about four games so do you try to get these players and mix it with more consistent players do you try to avoid those players or do you try to attack those players so that at one point every week you have someone going off? Uh, yeah, so those generally guys like Ted Ginn, those, those high volatility guys are players that I will go after um, with that kind of profile. And um, the reason is particularly a wide receiver um, that we're, because you're rostering a lot of them. You know, I said seven to eight, you can even have nine or, or uh, you know, go up to ten. These guys who are going to have bad weeks, even up to two-thirds of the time, it's okay because you've got eight other guys to fill three or four starting roster spots at that position. And um, you don't have to guess which week is going to be the good week, right? Like that That's the really tricky thing in redraft. You know, you have to set your lineup each week. And if you got a guy who 
you know, only half the time or less than half the time is going to have a good game, it's really hard to even roster him because, you, you know, half the time you're going to get it wrong unless you, you know, you're really, really good at it. Um, and that's, that's kind of dead weight on your roster. But in best ball, you don't have to make that choice. Um, you, you know, during those down weeks, you've got your other six or seven guys who are going to fill in for him. So I do go after them. I, I, and for that reason, I tend to go after wide receivers late in the draft. So I, I kind of want to be done with running back, um, you know, before the last handful of rounds of the draft um, and take my flyers on wide receivers because they are generally the guys who have more of those, the, that kind of volatile spike week profile. Talking about the big weeks and the and the uh, the other guys who just kind of either put up 20 points or put up three points. Kickers and defenses are kind of like the same thing. You either have the stud defense or you have to stream. Do you go after like the Justin Tuckers, the Steven Goskowskis, or do you just kind of stack up three kickers at the end of the draft hoping one of them puts together a good performance? I'm definitely a late uh, kicker and defense guy. I mean, I think um, particularly with defense, every year, I mean, looking back, you know, six, seven years, the top defense that everyone's drafting early last year was Jacksonville. It's been in recent years, it's been Seattle, it's been Chicago. Um, They just they just haven't performed. And these are guys that go in like the 12th round of a 20 round draft when you can get. You, know, you can take two or three defenses in the 19th and 20th rounds, and they're probably going to put together a pretty good score at that position, whereas you can get really strong players in other positions in the 12th round. So it's not a good trade-off um, sort of as far as I'm concerned. Unless you, know, unless you really know that that is going to be the best defense, it's going to be the best kicker, and then it's just hard to figure out. Uh, kickers get injured. Um, defenses don't, fortunately, but um, it's really you got to have high confidence, and in the way it's played out, you know those, those expensive defenses just haven't paid off for people. So the NFL Combine is coming up, and there's a, a lot of talk about guys like Nikhil Harry, DK Metcalf, uh, Henderson, and all these rookies coming in. There's actually already best ball drafts going on for listeners who are not aware of that on sites like FFPC. Uh, Mike is already putting out charts for those drafts. So how do you attack rookies? Do you think, because last year we saw guys like Darius Geis going in the third round. We saw Ronald Jones going in the fifth round in early best ball drafts. Are you going to do any best ball drafts before the actual NFL draft to try to speculate a little bit and try to find some value? Are you going to wait till after? Do you like taking rookies? Do you generally avoid rookies? Kind of a loaded question, but what's your uh, general take on rookies? I'm, I'm ready for the question. I, I wrote an article about this before the draft last year for Roto Grinders, and um, the I do do drafts before the NFL draft. Um, you know, I've, I haven't done many so far this year, but I've done a few. And um, the thing that I found was, even if you're not very good at figuring out who the great rookies are going to be, um, with running back in particular, more than the other positions they almost all get more expensive after the NFL draft. So if you're a person who's going to do, you know, a lot of these drafts, you know, uh, talking like 50 or more, which there are a lot of people who do that. Um, It's good to do a bunch of drafts before the NFL draft and get your exposure to the rookies, the rookie running backs in particular then. Because even if they, like, 
even if you're going to be wrong about them or you know or you're not sure who the best ones are going to be in august when they are on a team people have seen them in training camp there's not all this uncertainty about who's going to draft them they're just going to be more expensive uh, so if you think about it at like a sort of a portfolio kind of level, like I'm going to have, you know, 20 to 30 teams and I want to have, you know, five shares of, uh, you know, um, Barkley or Rashad Penny or whatever across them last year, you want to get them early. You want to get them when they're cheaper. Um, so that's gen- that general idea. Um, I'm probably going to, I will have some exposure to rookie running backs and I'm, going to try to front load it to uh, drafts that happen before the NFL draft. Piggybacking off of a couple questions we asked you earlier, you mentioned that there's a lot of different roster sizes in best ball. Now, I'm a little uh, salty here because I had a team that got injured uh, There was last season. There was small rosters, and it was basically a no-go from week one. So I know that there's different options out there. What would you say is the sweet spot for roster sizes in best ball? You know, I the three the three sort of setups that I've played on uh, are on draft, which is um, eighteen rounds, so eighteen roster spots, but they don't have defenses. And then um, then fan ball, they have twenty, they do have defenses. And then the twenty eight FFPC, they add kickers. Um, I really, you know, I, I like all three of them. They're all different. Um, I think if you you know, if you were expanding to 28 rounds but not adding kickers and defenses, it would just be a little too much. You know, it's, uh, you'd be going way too deep in the player pool. Um, I, I'm not sure that would be particularly interesting for me. But uh, all three of those, those setups are good. And you end up um, in pretty similar ranges and, and similar strategies in terms of, uh, you know, the number of players you're going to draft at each position and, and when you're going to attack those spots. So there's not one that I think is best. Um, you do need deep rosters, though, like deep relative to redraft. You know, it, I think you don't want to have a best ball team or, uh, you know, be playing a best ball league where there are fewer than 18 rounds in the draft um, because you need, you need that bench. You know, the whole point of best ball is you're not picking the starters each week. You have that deep bench of guys who um, – who you've picked because you expect them to contribute uh, throughout the year, but you don't know exactly when. So because of your expertise in this field, I got to ask you, uh, because in, for example, uh, there's a lot of different strategies in redraft, but my personal favorite strategy is to load up on depth and then to unload that depth uh, for better players through trades. And of course you can't trade in best ball. So what's your secret sauce in best ball? If you had one, uh, strategy that you can tell everyone to employ, what would it be? Uh, uh, well, I think the big thing is not overspending on uh, on the onesie positions. For me, the onesie positions being quarterback, tight end, and um, if you have defense and kicker in your league, uh, just just be be one of the last people to draft a lot of them. I mean, the early tight end can work out. It worked very well last year as long as it wasn't Gronk. You know, Kelsey and Ertz were both very good. Um, but people end up overspending quite a bit. Or, you know, if you take an early tight end, only draft two of them if you're in a, you know, a 20-round league. Um, 
don't take that third one for depth. I mean, you're kind of you, you if you're going to spend a lot for that that guy, you got to believe in him. Same thing for quarterback. If you're going to take one of the first five quarterbacks off the board, don't draft three quarterbacks. Just stop at two. Believe in the guy that you paid for, or you know, don't pay for him. Uh, just skip them. And uh, I think that that's a really big thing that that balance. You know, the uh, if you're going to pay for a stud, then you make some of it back by saving a roster spot that you can give to a different position. Um, and those roster spots in best ball, because you can't trade, uh, because you can't hit the waiver wire, are all so valuable. And, uh, you know, so a lot of what I focus on is just squeezing the most out of every single pick in every roster spot. All right. That was Mike Beer's best ball connoisseur. Truly, if you're not following him on Twitter, uh, you're messing up. He... I've been following him for a couple years now. He puts out tremendous work. Mike, if you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself or where to find you, go for it. Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter is the best place to find me. It's um, at Beerswater, B-E-E-R-S-W-A-T-E-R, just like it sounds. And um, you can find, I we just launched um, uh, the whole group of tools on rotoviz.com uh tracking best ball leagues and uh you know this whole warehouse of data that i've been collecting over the past several years is available there so that's a very exciting development and um yeah and uh you know i, I like to go on podcasts like this so uh you, you can find those on twitter uh when they happen and uh yeah that's kind of the story thanks so much mike uh hopefully this isn't the last time our listeners hear from you on our podcast you are great thanks for joining us thanks mike yeah thank you all right we are welcoming in the fantasy football counselor mr joseph robert he is uh popping on instagram he gives a really great fantasy advice again we are welcoming him on the real recognized real section uh fantasy football counselor what's up man yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, we're big fans of your stuff on Instagram. We like. Uh, we we are also not a fan of the conchipsis, as you call them. Uh, that's his word for like the the you know those analysts out there that kind of just go with all the trends and don't really look at things. Uh, we're not a fan of them as well. So uh, a couple of outsiders here, and we want to talk to you about Valentine's Day. Love is in the air, um, and we are feeling love for some players, and there's some players that we're just gonna break their hearts and break up with them right on Valentine's Day. So um, who's the first player on your list? Like, we, we went through a couple of our players earlier. What's the first player on your list that you're like, man, I love this guy going into next season? Uh, there's a couple guys. Again, it's still pretty early. Um, there's a couple guys I really like. But, uh, you know, with guys that you love sometimes, these risk guys, they have all this upside. But with that comes a lot of risk, right? So... A guy I really like next year, I think, especially if Antonio Brown is gone, is probably Juju. I think at the wide receiver position, he could really shine. And, and one of the main reasons I feel that, you know, this industry, we got to back up what we say, is, uh, you know, again, if Antonio Brown's gone, it's just sheer volume. Now, people will say he'll see some double coverage, but if you look at the attempts, I mean, it was Big Ben that led in attempts, and so there's tons of targets to roll out. With Antonio Brown gone, Juju could be a real benefit of that. Yeah, uh, Juju is actually my number one love uh, for my list of Valentine's loves. I, I honestly think if he's in the second round, he's going to be one of the biggest steals in second round history. I'm, I'm willing to reach for him late first round going into next season. For sure. 
Wow, so you guys are both that high on Juju. Um, let's keep it with the Steelers. I want to ask you about uh, a lot of people are just assuming it's James Washington is going to come in and take that Juju role and and uh, Juju take over the Antonio Brown role. Uh, is James Washington the guy that you think could have a extended role next season? And if it's not him, who do you see having that uptick uh, with the exit of Antonio Brown with the Steelers? to see what happens after the draft, see if they acquire anybody else. But from what I know is Big Ben, like, he favors certain guys. Like, if he doesn't like you, he's just not going to throw the ball to you, you know? Like, I just don't see it. So, Washington, I don't know, man. I don't know if he's got that rapport with him. I don't think he's he's got, he's spe- like, as special as a guy like Juju. Um, I don't know, man. This is a tough one. He might use his tight ends a lot more. But I just don't know. Washington doesn't excite me yet based on what I've seen. And maybe because he hasn't gotten the volume and the opportunity, he could shine. I'm just not excited. But I don't have a good gut feeling about it. But I could be wrong, right? Uh, I like that you pointed out that he might use his tight ends more. Vance McDonald is someone that uh, we've discussed on this show before. Vance Refrigeration is what we call him. A little homage to the office. I don't know if you're a fan. Uh, but... He had a pretty productive season on limited targets. Do you think that he can be the person, rather than a wide receiver, that steps up and is the new, uh, let's say, benefactor of Big Ben's throws? Absolutely. We're going to have to see what happens. If they do not acquire a top tight end, uh, or sorry, a top wide receiver, then yeah, definitely I think Vance would be an absolute steal and a tight end you'd grab later on in the draft, and that would be your guy. And I'm not a guy that will invest in a tight end early. There's no way you'll see me, and I told people, you know, you got to stay away from Gronkowski. People were investing him in the second round. You always went on a tight end. Like, my tight ends this past year were George Kittle and Austin Hooper. Why? Because I knew the upside was there, and you got to look for that, you know, and it's about seeing things before they happen. So, yeah, I mean, McDonald could be a steal. Um, Jason was another guy that was on Kittle 100% full force. Um, so that's a guy you really love and you're making your Valentine. What about a guy that you are not drafting at all, or you are uh, not drafting at least at his price right now, uh, in terms of who are you breaking up with? Uh, well, I was, I kind of had this guy when he really broke out two years ago was Todd Gurley. So again, I, I basically mentioned a decline if you listen to my stuff. Now he did technically decline Todd, people hate me for this, but he did technically decline. He did, you know, 10 points less than he did last year in PPR than the year before. Uh, this past year, only had 10 points less. So Todd Gurley's a guy I'm breaking up with. Again, there's no way he goes three years in a row performing on that type of top level. Not to mention, if they keep C.J. Anderson, I mean, he got more volume in the postseason. And what pisses me off about Todd Gurley is that when it was time to shine, he did nothing. So if you had him in the playoffs... He's a big piss-off because he did nothing in the playoffs. He didn't even do anything in the Super Bowl. So this is, if, you're, if you're supposed to be the best at the best of that position, you perform when that time comes. And that's what, you know, that's what makes him like, not ultra-elite for me. And for his value, people are going to consider him probably first overall. Give me Saquon. Give me Zeke way ahead of, Bar- way ahead of Gurley this year. So, Joe, uh, a pretty bold person to break up with uh, right off the bat. Where... So you mentioned Saquon and Zeke. I think Saquon is someone that a lot of people agree uh, is ahead of Gurley right now in most um, formats. What? Who else would you say you'd take right now over Gurley? Let's say the Saints don't acquire another running back. Would you take Kamara over Gurley? Sorry, take who over Gurley? Alvin Kamara. You know what? 
uh, that's tough. I just based on volume, you know, you almost tend to take girly. But yeah, man, I'm just something about girly just turns me off. It just I, whatever goes up must come down. It's not that I hate the guy. I just don't see him doing it again three years in a row. And if, I, if he does, then congrats on him. But what he did to me, or not to me, I didn't have him on my team this year, but what he did to fantasy owners in the playoffs really, really turned me off. So I'd probably consider taking Alvin Kamara ahead of him. I'd probably even consider taking David Johnson ahead of him. Um, I'm, a, I'm good at taking risks and not, and not being afraid to take risks because I always have a lot of depth in my roster. Like last year, I was really high on Fournette. He crapped the bed. And then I had Chris Carson to back me up. So I always have enough depth to cover myself. So no matter what I do, I'll be fine. But, yeah, I'm just going to stay away from Gurley based on his ADP, which will be really high. Give me somebody else. One guy that uh, you you probably at this time of the year last year would have put in your love list is Matt Ryan. I know you bought a Falcons hat. If you go on Instagram again, at Fantasy Football Counselor to follow him on Instagram – you wear that Falcons hat proudly because you said Matt Ryan was going to bounce back this year. Now, this was his second year in an offensive system. We saw him struggle in his first year. If you go back to Kyle Shanahan, he was the MVP in his second year, struggled in his first year. Now he has Dirk Cutter as his offensive coordinator. What do you see out of the guy that uh, you hung your hat on? Uh, bad pun. But the guy you you hung your hat on this season, Matt Ryan. See, again, I kind of like milk it while it's hot, and I don't know <laughs> if Matt Ryan's going to have as good of a year. I mean, he could, but I don't know. Cotter didn't excite me at, with uh, with Tampa. I, I don't know. I, I have question marks, but I don't think I'm going to ride the Matt Ryan train again. I'm going to try to see if I can probably go on the Aaron Rodgers. I think you could steal Aaron Rodgers in the third or fourth round. I think, you know, everyone's going to be reaching for Mahomes and Andrew Luck and that type of thing. And that's the thing for all the listeners right now. Is a lot of people just ride the recency bias, but you got to kind of capitalize, as you guys know, on things before they're going to break out. For example, Devontae Adams, a guy I was really high on. Nobody had him last year in the top five. He was a top seven kid sheepsis, right? I had him ahead of Odell. I had him ahead of a lot of guys. The only person I really had ahead of him was Antonio Brown, but I still drafted Devontae Adams. I, like, on my rankings, I had Antonio Brown, but I still would have went Devontae Adams. So ride things when they're hot and know when they're about to get hot. And they learn when to get off so what's one guy that coming into this year i know it's really early and i and this is a little bit on the spot but what's one guy like Devonte adams that you're looking at next year that could be one of those tear breakers uh we talking well i guess i guess juju was kind of the guy at wide receiver um in regards to let's go to running back here I'm, like it's very early um yeah, guy i really like probably and again it's a huge risk and i if i can get him as an rb2 I'm going to try to steal him, but Derrick Henry, um, based on what I'm hearing with uh, with Arthur, uh, I think it's the new offensive coordinator there. I think it's Arthur Smith, right? Um, so I'm thinking Derrick Henry is probably a guy that's going to get a lot of volume. But again, you're going to see Tennessee probably draft another running back and piss me off. So I, I think the Derrick Henry train could really, really go through. And actually, David Johnson, you might want to probably consider him again as a guy to bounce back, because he was third in attempts. So um, he's going to get the volume, and as long as they improve that offense and create the opportunity, maybe improve that O-line, David Johnson, another guy can jump back on this year and probably grab him. Yeah, I'm with you on David Johnson. I love him this year. Uh, I'm going to jump back to a little bit earlier where you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. So 
uh, I'm, then I'm going to jump a little earlier than that. So you mentioned that you like taking tight ends late. A lot of people have the same tight end and quarterback strategy where they'll take both of those guys late looking for players in the later rounds who can produce QB1 tight end one numbers. But then you mentioned Aaron Rodgers is someone you take in the third, fourth round. So what's your strategy typically on quarterbacks? Well, quarterback, I have to make sure, like, I have to make sure that it's a guy that's going to produce. This year, my two quarterbacks were Drew Brees and Matt Ryan. So I look at quarterback. With quarterbacks, you're going to get more consistent numbers out of the year. So there's more of a pattern that they're going to succeed. So they're not as volatile as, let's say, a running back. They kind of go up and down a little bit. Um, so I would probably try to secure a solid quarterback as early as I can. I get a feel of how the draft is going in the second or third round. If I feel like in the third round I see a guy like Derrick Henry, I may be tempted to, you know, because I go running back round one. I typically go wide receiver round two. So if I see a guy that I really like at running back, I may steal him round three and wait on a quarterback in four or five. But I'd be tempted to grab Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers, he, I think he's only going to get better with the receivers. He had a bunch of young receivers last year. He's only going to get better with Valdez, Scaling, and all those guys. He's going to build that rapport with them. They've got a system now with Aaron, uh, with Aaron Jones. They're going to be running it a little bit more. That he's going to solidify his role. And another thing is that with Rodgers this year, he wasn't running that much because he had that knee brace and he had that injury for pretty much half the season. He was pretty banged up, even a bit more than that. So he's going to get those rushing yards back. So he could be a top three again next year. So I'm excited about him. I know I'm elaborating a lot, but I'm just trying to give you guys some detail on my kind of thought process here. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, it's definitely early, but so one fun thing to do when it's early is speculate a little bit, and everyone knows that Le'Veon Bell is a very popular name for uh, a long time now, Just be and he hasn't even been on the field. What's one team that you, you'd like to see Le'Veon Bell end up on? Oh, man, I hate to say this, man. I, I get what he's doing, that he wants that money and stuff, but I'm, I'm kind of a Le'Veon Bell hater now. I just... I mean, he basically spit away $14 million, and I get he's holding out. But I don't know if there's going to be a team that's going to pick him up. I don't know. The Colts, I think, have room for him. But if I'm the Colts, I would stay away from him. I'm a hater because if I'm a, a team owner, I'm not going to invest the guy that wasn't there for his team last year, you know, didn't show up to practice, didn't, wasn't there, you know, held out. And I get why he's holding out, and I get it, right? But what he's asking for is a little unreasonable. He wants, like, Antonio Brown number at a running back. If I'm a head coach, if I'm an owner, I'm going to keep Marlon Mack. I'm going to work him, and uh, or I can pick up a solid running back in the draft. I'm not going to pay a guy $20 million when I can get equal value. And also, just want to let you know here, I think Le'Veon Bell's a little overrated. He, yeah, he's a great talent. He's patient. But D'Angelo Williams and both him and James Conner did the same thing he, Le'Veon Bell did pretty much with that O-line with Pittsburgh. So, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'd like to see him on the Jets if he's on any team, but that's about it. I'm with you about Le'Veon Bell, man. I've been, I've been saying the same thing. I think some team's going to overpay for him, and someone is probably going to reach for him in a fantasy draft, and it's more than likely not going to be me. So, I see what you're saying with Le'Veon Bell. I don't know, man. A little overrated. Le'Veon Bell in a Bruce Arians offense? That's what I'm trying to see. Uh, there's some more running back news that kind of just came across the wire. Kareem Hunt, who... Uh, it's still on a commissioner's exempt list, let's not forget, but he gets signed to the Browns. Kind of a surprising move. Uh, same GM that drafted him, signed him, so you know there's some history there. Um, yeah. How do you see this playing out for Nick Chubb, and do you think Kareem Hunt has any fantasy value this season? 
Yeah, I'm going to stay away. Like, I love Nick Chubb. I was probably going to put him, like, the Kinsheeps, I don't know where they would have had Nick Chubb, but I was going to probably put him in the top ten somewhere. Um, he's off my radar now. I'm just not even going to draft him because I know no matter what. Like, let's just say, I think Kareem Hunt gets maybe, he's going to get six games minimum, six to eight games, I would think. But when he comes back, he's going to be a thorn in the side of Nick Chubb when you need him the most as you're going into those fantasy football playoffs. And it just it's a total buzz killed everything. And if you want to talk about politics and domestic stuff, I just think it's way too early for him to come. You know, I think that's just low class by the Cleveland Browns to have this guy on his team after what happened. Whether you say, you know, what, I'm going to make this controversial here, but whether you say it was a, a light kick or not, a kick's a kick. I mean, don't yeah. surround yourself with those type of people, and then you won't be in those situations. If you know someone's going to be racist towards you, you don't hang around with that type of person. I mean, you can't predict they're going to do that, but that's the type of class person you are that someone's going to do racist comments at you. Stay away from that people. Don't hit them. It's only going to jeopardize your career. So the fact that he hit somebody and the Browns pick him up, that shows what kind of organization the Browns are. You know what I'm saying? I, I think it's dirty. I think it's all just a mess. It's interesting because the Browns locker room, brand new coach, uh, a GM that has shown he's not afraid to take on guys uh, that have had some locker room problems in the past like Jarvis Landry. It's going to be interesting to see how they put him in because – uh, there's innovation going on around the league. And when you have two backs of that caliber, it's going to be interesting to see. Maybe they put them on the field at the same time. Who knows? Maybe it's maybe they use them in a way that we've never seen before. That's When you're talking about fantasy football, you got to think forward. And it, it, there's a possibility that he does eat into Nick Chubb. Yeah, I don't like timeshare. I don't want any... Like, my running backs, I want full workloads. Like, I want... I want a Zeke Elliott, or I want a guy, a draft a rookie that could have like Zeke Elliott volume. I'm obsessed with heavy volume on my on my running backs. I can't take any chances with committees. Uh, it's unacceptable for me. I have to have full workloads if I can. That's why it's so important to secure that solid running back in round one, because these guys that are sole running backs are few and far between. There isn't too many of them. So make sure you have one. The fantasy football counselor himself, Joseph Robert, at fantasy football counselor on Instagram. Uh, anything you want to plug, man? Plug away, our listeners. This is the real, recognized, real section where we expose our listeners to the realness around this fantasy football community. So let them know where they could find you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And you can find me at fantasy football counselor, verified on Instagram there, and uh, podcast at fantasy football counselor available everywhere. Also, excuse me, also the YouTube channel. Uh, and that's Fantasy Football Counselor as well? Correct, yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Fantasy Football Counselor. Again, you can find him on Instagram. Uh, thank you for your time, man, and happy Valentine's Day. I hope Thanks. you enjoy it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, man. We are now joined by PFF's own Brendan Leister. He is an analyst at PFF. Like I said, he also analyzes Browns film for at Browns Film BDN. He has experience coaching college uh, QBs. He's also a writer at USA Football. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking about some quarterback play. Yeah, man. So it's it's the off season, and you know we got to have our fix. And the first thing we need to fix up is how are these quarterbacks going to perform next year? How did they perform this year? So before we get into all the quarterbacks that we already know about, let's get into some unknowns. Let's get into some of these guys in the draft this year. The first guy I want to talk to you about is Dwayne Haskins. He is the Ohio State quarterback, obviously. Uh, 50 touchdowns last year in a very prolific offense. Um, a lot of people say that he is the number one rookie quarterback coming out. 
what do you see out of Dwayne Haskins, and do you think he could have success on the next level? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his game. Uh, he's definitely the prototypical pocket passer, um, really smooth throwing motion, quick in his setup. Um, he's accurate, I think, to all levels of the field. Um, I've been really impressed with him when I've studied him. Uh, I'm actually an Ohio State fan, so I, I watched every game, saw him constantly. Um, I think my one question with him is probably how he deals with pressure. There were a lot of times where outside of structure, when the plays breaks down, he really had some struggles at times with making those plays, you know, on the run, on the move, uh, when guys are around him in the pocket and he's uncomfortable. But from a clean pocket, I think he's he's a very impressive player. He's obviously inexperienced also compared to some of these other guys. So there will be a learning curve there. But I think that he definitely projects as, you know, a top 10 type quarterback and teams in the top 10 that are looking for a quarterback should absolutely be interested in him because I think he, he has the ability to turn into a, you know, top half of the league quarterback. And any team that has a guy like that can compete for Super Bowls down the road. What do you think is the ideal situation for him right now? Like, If you're Dwayne Haskins, who are you hoping to get drafted by in terms of uh, fantasy success? Obviously, if you're Dwayne Haskins, you're not thinking about fantasy success. But um, in terms of well, who can give you the best chance to put up the most gaudy numbers, what team do you think is the place that he should end up in? Yeah, I think if if he could go to the Giants and get an opportunity to start right away, that's a great situation. You have a talented running back that can can produce, obviously, in the pass game in a big way. Uh, arguably the best running back in the NFL, obviously, at least from a value standpoint because of what he brings in the pass game. Then you have, have Odell Beckham Jr., you've got Sterling Shepard, you've got um, Ingram, the tight end. So you've got a whole bunch of talented weapons in that offense. So if you could insert him, I think that would probably maybe – Year one, you know, he's going to have some struggles, but I think you're going to see a lot of flashes that are even more impressive than what you saw from Eli Manning, and, and long-term especially, I think it would be a big upgrade. I also think he uh, would probably be a good match with Pat Shermer with the short to intermediate passing route for Haskins. Like you said, he was uh, good at those sorts of passes. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to move on to Kyler Murray now, who who's probably the biggest wild card of all the quarterbacks this season with uh, coming out this season with his possibly going to play baseball or is he going to join the nfl but there's no denying his ability on the field with the way he's able to pass the way he was able to run he threw for 42 touchdowns this year uh, over 11 yards per attempt but then you have people questioning his ability if it's going to be able to translate to nfl level and his size of course is a big question mark so how do you feel about kyler murray um I might actually like him even more than Haskins, honestly. It's uh, it's tough. I'm I'm not as hard on quarterbacks when it comes to height and those things as other people are. And and when I studied him closely, I really was impressed with his ability to protect himself when he gets outside the pocket on the run. You'll really notice that he does a fantastic job of getting out of bounds when he's about to take a hit or just getting down and sliding. You know, his baseball background obviously helps with that. Um, but he he has really quick release, fantastic arm talent. Um, like like Haskins does, but I think when the play breaks down, the difference is that Murray is electric. He can make those those amazing plays outside structures that Haskins isn't quite as good at. Um, and I also think that Murray was just a more consistent player throughout the season. Um, if you just look at the whole body of work as well as what Murray can do on the ground, obviously. I mean, he picked up a ton of rushing yards this past season. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but he brings extra added value in the in the running game where you can run read options and stuff with him. Um, I would love to see him in, in Jacksonville. 
it, I know that it's it's hard to say if they'll go that route that early. You know, they might love Haskins more, and it's such a risk with the baseball thing. You don't know if he's really committed to football or not. But but I, I think if he commits himself to football, he has a great chance to succeed if a team molds their offense around what he does well and and uh, just builds it that way, kind of like the Browns. You know, I'm a Browns fan, and like what the Browns did this second half of the season with Baker Mayfield. I see a lot of similarities between those two guys with the way they get it done as pocket passers. So I like Kyler Murray. Uh, who is who would you say is your comparable to Kyler Murray in the league right now? And is there anyone that you can compare to him? It's so tough because you know you don't really see guys. I mean, obviously you don't see NFL quarterbacks that are five ten around there and one hundred and eighty, one hundred and eighty five pounds. But I mean, when I studied him, I did see a lot of similarities. What to what Mayfield did last year, just from the pocket. I mean, I know it's the same offense and it's an easy thing to compare, but they're both undersized guys. And I think they both have similar ways of getting it done from the pocket. Um, obviously, Murray's a more dynamic athlete and and Mayfield is way more experienced. I think Russell Wilson's another one that obviously comes to mind. It's just that Wilson's so much thicker. So there's not really a great comparison, but I think you have to kind of take like a mix of a bunch of different guys if you're going to try to come up with a comparison because guys that size haven't really got opportunities to start in the NFL in the past. Uh, one guy that fits the size bill, that's for sure. This is probably the most, uh, you know, prototypical if you're going to build a quarterback uh, guy in the draft, Drew Locke, 6'4", 225. Uh, he's out of Missouri. Oh. How do you feel about Drew Locke? Not so much talk about him coming into the draft, but a lot of buzz about the Broncos maybe taking a shot at him. Uh, I think they pick around 13. So what do you feel about Drew Locke, and do you think that he could have success in the next level? Yeah, um, it's kind of funny because, like, last year I didn't think Josh Allen had any chance at all. And then he he did some good things as a rookie. You know, he, he really struggled as a passer, but, you know, he had the size and all that stuff. And, I think that as a passer, Locke is probably pretty similar to that, maybe even more polished than Josh Allen, if you're making a comparison. And um, I think, you know, Locke is very inconsistent. He, he's another guy that kind of struggles with pressure, especially, and he, he will do some things that amaze you, and then he's going to do some things that are just completely out of left field, and you're like, what is this guy doing? Um, I'm not sure if I would feel comfortable taking him in the first round per se as as my potential franchise quarterback, but I do have a feeling that a team's going to do it just because of the the arm talent that he has is undeniable. He's got an absolute cannon. He can throw it down the. I mean, he can throw it with anybody, um, just like Josh Allen could. And I think he's going to make some of those splash plays down the field on the deep balls and those deep intermediate routes um, on like deep crossers and stuff off play action. But then he's also going to throw some really bad interceptions and be very inconsistent overall. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Drew Locke to this point, but uh, you know, I do expect a team to take a chance on him. And as far as the Broncos, I think people are probably making a connection between other guys that Elway has drafted, you know, like Osweiler and Paxton Lynch. Those are both six foot seven guys that, like have all the pro prototypical stuff. I think if Elway, if that's his type, then it makes sense to connect him to the Broncos. Uh, with the those three quarterbacks, uh, excuse me, sorry, with the other quarterbacks coming out, uh, guys like Daniel Jones, Will Greer, players of that caliber. There's a lot of mixed reviews because they all they seem to have the potential, but then they they have plays where it's, you just scratch your head, and then they have plays where you're like, oh wow, this guy looks like he could be an absolute stud. Is there anyone of that bunch who you think really stands out or someone you think maybe with a year or two to develop can have a 
can grow into a dynamic quarterback in the NFL? Um, not nobody really jumps off off the, jumps out off the top of my head, but I think that Will Greer, you know, he he graded really well for us at Pro Football Focus consistently the past uh, few seasons, and from what I've seen from him, you know, he does a lot of things well. He's uh, generally accurate from a clean pocket, and that tends to translate to the NFL. Um, you know, he's an inconsistent guy, but I think if you get him in the right situation and put the right players around him, maybe over time he could turn into like a a solid starting quarterback or a spot starter for a team. But but um, as far as like Daniel Jones and all those other guys, uh, I don't see anybody that really strikes me as like a future star quarterback per se. So before we get into the guys that uh, we're going to ask about, I want to ask about one guy that a lot of people are saying if he would have come out in this draft, he would have been the number one pick, Justin Herbert out of Oregon. Uh, have you had a chance to see Justin play? And what is your opinion on where he would have gone, say he would have, uh, uh, what do you call it, applied for the draft or declared for the draft? There you go, there you go. <laughs> he declared for the draft. Yeah, early in the season, I was really excited about him. I just thought that he was making a lot of big-time throws down the field and, and showing some really impressive, you know, arm talent and and ball placement. Um, just making, you know, it just seemed like he was elevating the whole Oregon team. It just seemed like he was kind of carrying them. And then as the season went on, I think he had he had a couple rougher games that kind of made people think not as highly of him and those types of things. And I also think that maybe he was getting that first round pressure or, or top top number one pick pressure and stuff from people. He made a, he might've been listening to that and that might've impacted his, uh, his confidence level level and stuff. But yeah, I, uh, I like Herbert. I think that his decision to go back to school was probably made pretty early on. And I think that's why we didn't hear as much hype about him as the season went on, as well as some of those rough games he had. And um, I think he probably would have ended up going top 10 in this class. I mean, I already said that I think Drew Locke's going to go up in that top 10 to 15 area. And if Drew Locke does, I think Herbert absolutely should because uh, – or should have, I should say, if he would have declared because he's a very talented player. And in spite of a few bad perf bad performances or subpar performances, I think he stacks up very well with, you know, Murray, Haskins, guys like that. So – those are the guys that we don't know about, but there are a couple of guys that came out last year, five guys in particular, that we do know about. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Now, you do break down uh, Brown's video. You're a Brown's fan, self-professed. And uh, you you said you were a Ohio State fan, but you are obviously in the, uh, the game of breaking down college quarterbacks. So Baker Mayfield was Michael's highest-rated rookie quarterback, highest-rated quarterback of any of the quarterbacks we rated at an A this season so first you agree with that rating for michael and if you don't what is the things that he has to improve on going into next season and what are some things that he did that make you go wow this guy's the real deal yeah i definitely agree with that a rating uh he had a fantastic season especially the second half of the season i think the first half was very up and down before they fired hugh jackson before freddie kitchens took over the offense but once they started to really adapt what they do to what he does well that was when his performances really took off. Um, one of the biggest things, like he had the one of the highest big time throw percentages in the NFL, which we we have certain guys that work for PFF that look at like big time throws down the field that have great ball placement and just really tough throws. And I think he was really high on that list amongst quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, 
that's the biggest thing that stands out with him. But I think he also elevated his offensive line as the year went on uh, by, you know, pocket presence, getting out of the pocket, extending the play on the edge, creating big plays down the field on scramble drills. Um, he just really elevated that team, not to mention all the stuff that he brings to the table. Um, I would say like in the locker room and as a person, he just, he's the type of person that like elevates players around him. He just has that charisma that I know it's, it's a weird thing. It's a hard thing to quantify, but I think Baker Mayfield has all those things. And he's also just an accurate quarterback in general. So yeah, you saw all those things this past season. I think going into next season, um, my biggest concern, I guess, is just when teams start to get more pressure on him, how is he going to respond to that? Because they did a great job of helping the offensive line and giving him clean pockets to move up into. And, and he did show good pocket presence at times and extend those plays, like I mentioned. But I think that that's still a question that I have is when a team's consistently getting pressure on him, how's he going to deal with it? Is he going to still be able to beat them from the pocket? Um, but moving forward, I'm, I'm really confident, you know, in the Browns chances. And I think they have a franchise quarterback now and, and it's exciting times to be a Browns fan. Yeah, I agree. We have a uh, true throw value, which is a statistic we created at Brodo fantasy where uh, Baker Mayfield came in as a 12th overall QB and it just kept getting higher and higher as the season went on as he started getting more and more comfortable in the Freddie Kitchens offense. So you could really see him taking a step up. And I really love Baker Mayfield, man. I'm with you. I think he's going to be an absolute stud for years. Another rookie quarterback, Sam, well, previously rookie quarterback, Sam Darnold. This one, uh, me and Tim are bullish on because we are Jets fans. So we have to be a little biased there. He had flashes of brilliance, flashes of, oh my goodness gracious, what is this guy doing? How do you what do you think of Sam Darnold and do you think Adam Gase is a good fit for him? Yeah, so actually going into last year's draft, I uh Darnold was my top quarterback in that class. I wanted the Browns to take him. Uh, I I loved him. I I really went out of my way to kind of make that known to people, you know, on Twitter, online, whatever, and kind of the football community on there. Um I, I love the the things he do outside on the play breakdown and the creativity that he shows in the pocket evading pressure being able to throw off platform and those things I think he has some really unique abilities when it comes to that stuff um, the biggest thing I would say is continuing to surround him with talented players because they don't have a ton of talent on that offense right now and they don't have a lot of consistent players either like they have guys that, that will flash here and there but down to down I think he didn't have a lot of guys he could count on consistently. So that's probably the biggest thing moving forward for them. Um, as far as Adam Gase, I would have loved to see him take a step back maybe for a year and look, kind of learn from his mistakes he made in Miami and the things that happened there because I think that's when it typically works out better for these coaches that are retreads. It's whenever they have some time to sit back and learn. Um, I think him going straight from Miami to New York, that might be tough, but, but hopefully he can get the job done. Um, I... I don't have a strong opinion on him being like the right guy for Darnold, so to speak, but I really hope that he just adapts what he does to what Darnold's skill set is. I think Darnold is masterful with quick game. Like that was one of the biggest things he was great at doing at USC, throwing RPOs, um, getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And then when, like I said before, just when he holds the ball, he's just great at making things happen and, and making those special plays that very few guys can make. So I'm still a big fan of Sam Darnold, and I know that there was a stretch near the end of the season after he came back from that injury where he had one of the highest PFF grades amongst all quarterbacks. I think he had a top four or five grades. So, you know, the first part of the season up until he got injured, he obviously had a lot of struggles, but 
he's also, I think, one of the youngest starting rookie quarterbacks ever. He might have been the youngest ever, I believe. So um, that was kind of to be expected. But yeah, I, I feel good about Darnold's future. I just hope that Gase, I hope Gase does good things for him because I think he obviously has a world of talent. On the other side of the spectrum now, to, after two rookie quarterbacks that basically impressed, is a rookie quarterback that was one of the worst rookie quarterbacks uh, in the league. And, well, one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, the worst rookie quarterback in the league. That was Josh Rosen. Um, he had, like we said, true throw value, something that we invented over at Brodo. And it basically uh, gives a, a value to every throw a quarterback makes in terms of points uh that they get per throw. Now, some guys that were ranked higher in true throw value, Chase Daniel, Joe Flacco, Colt McCoy, Brett Blake Bortles, and Jeff Driscoll uh, were all higher than Josh Rosen. So he had a terrible year. But a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that, look, he didn't have a lot of talent, threw into tight windows more than anybody else. Um, his coaching staff ran up the middle more than any other coaching staff in the league. But now he gets Cliff Kingsbury in that high-powered offense. Um what is the ceiling for Josh Rosen with Cliff Kingsbury? I think there's a lot of question marks in Arizona, but a lot of positive at, a positive attitude about what's going on. Yeah, I liked Josh Rosen coming out in the draft. Um, I was one of the few, I feel like, that did think he was going to have struggles coming in. You know, there was a lot of talk about him being the most NFL ready, and he was just going to step in immediately and be so successful. And And I never felt that way because I think to have success early, you – like it's so hard to get it done consistently from the pocket as a rookie quarterback. You're going in there and, and your only way to beat the defense is with your mind and with your arm, where if you can get out of the pocket on scramble drills and extend plays with your legs, you have such a uh, an advantage on other guys. Kind of, I, I think back to Wentz versus Goff as rookies. Wentz had a solid rookie year. He was able to extend plays with his feet. Goff, when he didn't know what he was doing necessarily, when the defense had him confused, he was forced to either take a sack or throw into traffic. And I think that's something we saw with Josh Rosen last year. He doesn't have the legs like a Darnold, an Allen, a uh, a Mayfield, and even a Lamar Jackson, where when they're in trouble, they can escape. With Josh Rosen, he can't escape. He takes the sack or he throws into traffic. And that's, I think, that's probably the biggest thing that was holding him back this past season, as well as the situation, like you mentioned, obviously poor offensive line, uh, very little talent around him and the coaching situation was clearly questionable at best um, with Kingsbury. I think you just have to hope that he kind of creates a situation like they've created in LA with Goff, and, you know, run a ton of play action and get playmakers around him. And I think, I think he's pretty similar to Jared Goff. Honestly, I like both guys, similar amounts coming out of college. And um, I think that's kind of just the setup you have to, to put around him is run a lot of play action, get him open throws down the field. And obviously he's a talented passer. And I think he can become, you know, top half of the NFL quarterback if you surround him with the, that stuff. So I am excited about Kingsbury with him. I just hope that Kingsbury is able to, um, you know, just be a good head coach and not just a good offensive coordinator, if that makes sense. Yep. Uh, before we end it, we're going to ask you about one more guy going into the, quarterbacks who are going into their third year we know about Mahomes being an absolute monster uh Deshaun Watson I guess it's generally considered that he's a very solid QB I think the biggest wild card is those Mitch Trubisky me and Tim are we've had so many uh just non-stop just arguing over Mitch Trubisky because he's a big fan of his I don't 
really like him at all. So where do you stand on the spectrum? Because it seems to me like nobody really feels eh about Mitch Trubisky. People either love him or people either hate him. So where are you on the spectrum for Mitch Trubisky? I'm actually more more eh on him, honestly. <laughs> That's the way you put it. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of his coming out of college. I just never felt like he really elevated his team during that year where he started. There was just so many times where he would like he would show really impressive flashes and then he would just show some really boneheaded turnover worthy plays um and i think he's still been that guy in the nfl where when teams uh you know when they disguise coverage he he just really struggles from pre-snap to post-snap to like adjust on the fly i know that he he was near the top of the league he might have been at the top and turnover worthy plays which is something that we keep track of a pro football focus um you know so that just means that if teams would have pick the ball off when he threw to them more often then obviously his passer rating would have suffered much more and that that stuff um obviously he does good things with his legs he's a great athlete and and he does show those flashes here and there that get people super excited about him but i just think that he's more like a um you know just a middle of the road to below average quarterback right now rather than being like a top half of the league and and i think he's really you know, the reason kind of that the Bears weren't like, I mean, they were a good team, obviously. They had a good defense this year, and, you know, they have a lot of pieces around him. But I think they could have had a great chance to win the Super Bowl this year if he was even a, if he was even as good as like Jared Goff, for example. If he was a top half of the NFL quarterback, I think they would have had a great chance to win the Super Bowl this year. So um, that's kind of my take on him. I, I, I don't love him. I don't hate him, but I think he's, uh, he's an okay starter and, and you can win a lot of games with him. I just hope that he continues to become more consistent and really work on those fine details of his craft. Brendan Leister, thank you so much uh, for joining us. As our listeners know, this guest segment is called the Real Recognized Real segment because there's so many people out here doing what is being done right now with looking at the football stats and talking about fantasy. And you have to separate the real from the fake. And we only have the people on that are real. So we want our fans to connect with you. So if they want to connect with you, where could they find you? Yeah, so to connect with me, definitely the best place is on Twitter. And you can find me at Brendan Leiser. So, um, yeah, just reach out to me on there. I I reply to people a ton. I I don't really ignore people much. So, yeah, just hit me up. Ask questions. We'll talk ball. I love to talk football. So just hit me up anytime. All right. Thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, let's hope that next year brings good things for Baker Mayfield and and for uh, uh, Sam Darnold, for both of us, because we as Jets and Browns fans, we need some good quarterback play in our lives, man. <laughs> yeah. Amen to that, man. It, it was too long. And I think both teams got it right. So I'm really excited to see how both those guys do in year two. Uh, thanks to both you guys for having me on. I had a great time. Yeah. Us too, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Brendan. You. Peace. Yep. Thank you. And now we are welcoming in our special guest, Kyle Richardson. Kyle Richardson is a senior fantasy analyst for Roto Baller. He is also the co-host of Fantasy Headliners, a YouTube channel with over 28,000 subscribers. He also is the developer of the Dynamic Running Back Ranking System and a member of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association. My God, badges everywhere. What is up, Kyle Richardson? Not much, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Ready to talk a little bit of football, especially about some of these new hires, because I'm pretty excited for several players this coming season. Yeah, so let's get started right away, right off the bat. Uh, we went over some hires and how we feel about them. 
but what is your favorite hire so far in terms of fantasy impact that it might have next season? Yeah, my favorite hire so far, honestly, is Freddie Kitchens. The Browns, I was super worried the Browns were going to do Browns things this offseason and hire a coach that could not continue to push that offense in the correct direction. And for them to bring Freddie Kitchens back, I think it was just an excellent, excellent job on their part to just see the way that they gelled at the end of the season, the way Baker Mayfield played, the way that Nick Chubb uh, basically just burst at the end of the season and became a running back one. Um, I, in 2019, I expect Jarvis Landry, um, with another year and another offseason under his belt with working with Baker Mayfield, I expect him to get better. And a guy that I've talked about a lot, and I'm not going to stop talking about him because I love him, Antonio Callaway. I think this guy is in for a big 2019 as well. He's a huge deep threat. This is a guy that missed his last season at Florida. So basically, he played his rookie season in the NFL after taking his final season in college off. That's tough to do, and he was suspended, and he had a lot of character issues, and as long as he stays out of trouble this offseason, I think he's going to be a really sneaky add at the end of drafts next year. Hey, Kyle. Jason here. Uh, I agree with you with the Callaway thing. I want to touch on the offensive coordinator because Kitchens and Munkin both like to run vertical offenses, and uh, Callaway is the perfect wide receiver for that. You talked more about Kitchens. How do you think Munkin's going to help out the Browns? Yeah, I think I think him and Kitchens are going to be on the same page. Um, whatever Kitchens was doing with that offense at the end of last season, it worked. So I, I'm sure more than likely he brought him in and said, hey, this is what we did, this is what we worked, this is what Baker Mayfield is comfortable with. And they've already sat down and said, yes, we're going to be working together on this. So I'm sure they are on the same page. Um, I, if, if they would have brought in like a Mike McCarthy, which a lot of people thought they would, that really would have worried me. Um, if they would have brought in like a defensive-minded coach, if they would have, uh, unless it would have been keeping Greg Williams, that would have worried me as well. But because these two guys are going to be working cohesively now, I think that they're going to have a great game plan and they're going to work together and they're going to build off what basically Kitchens had going at the end of last year. Uh, besides the Browns uh, coaching hires, uh, what who else would be your favorite uh, coach in terms of positive effect on fantasy next season? Yeah, I have a couple, so I'm going to hit both of them super quick here. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Bruce Arians is, a, is a, a definite. You have to look at that, and you have to say that they could have made a better hire than getting Bruce Arians. It's going to help Jameis Winston. Really excited to see um, Mike Evans continue to build on what was a great under-the-radar season, really, because um, a lot of people still aren't really talking about it, except for the ones who are saying it was great. Um, so I'm excited for that. I'm really hoping they don't bring Deshaun Jackson back because if they don't, then that loosens up Chris Godwin and makes him even better. Um, the O.J. Howard, that one will be interesting to see. I don't know if O.J. Howard will continue to really make that climb because I think Bruce Arians will utilize his other weapons a little bit more. So we'll see what happens with that. I think that was a great hire. But another one, too, that got a lot of mixed review, uh, reviews was the Cardinals. I think Cliff Kingsbury, I think that was a home run hire, to be honest. Now, I'm, I'm a big college football fan as well, so maybe some of the people who thought it was a, a bad hire aren't big college football fans. I'm not sure. Um, but this guy is just an offensive-minded guy who knows how to put players in the best situations to be successful. Didn't have a great tenure at Texas Tech, but it's hard to when you're the third or fourth, fourth least popular school in the state trying to recruit. So it's a whole different ball game. David Johnson, I'm buying all the David Johnson I can this offseason. I know we look at Kingsbury and we think, oh, he ran the air raid offense. 
it's going to be pass, 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 pass. No, he is smart enough to know that David Johnson is the best player on the field at any given time and that he needs to utilize him in the best way. So I like where the Cardinals are going with that hire. So as someone who watched Kingsbury's offense at Texas Tech, what what do you think we could expect? Now, this is an offense that scored 37 points a game. So even though the record wasn't there, he definitely read an, led an offense. What kind of offensive game plan or what kind of offensive looks did you see out of Kingsbury last year and what do you think we could expect next year from him? I think I think it's gonna be about making I think it's gonna be about making Josh Rosen better. And how do we do that? Well we do that by letting him grow but using David Johnson to do that. Um, we don't need to ask David jo- we don't need to ask Josh Rosen to go out and throw it 35, 40 times a game. I mean, the Browns utilized Nick Chubb last year to help Baker Mayfield grow. They fed off of each other. I'm thinking it's going to be the same thing here. I don't think it's going to be an all-out passing attack where you're going to see, you know, Josh Rosen putting up huge numbers. Maybe in a couple of years we see something like that, but I think we're going to see a little bit more of a balanced offense this year where Kingsbury is putting his players in situations to really be successful, and I think that starts with David Johnson. So improving the offensive line this offseason and then really pounding the ball with David Johnson, definitely getting him in the passing game again, and then uh, Rosen getting him going, uh, building off that, some play actions and things like that. So I think that's how we're going to see that offense develop next year. Hey, Kyle, uh, Mike here. Going back to the Buccaneers and the Bruce Arians hire, we were talking about since Bruce Arians is such an offensive mastermind and uh, the fact that Le'Veon Bell is a free agent, we decided to bring up a hypothetical of maybe Le'Veon Bell going to the Buccaneers in that what would expect it to be a high-powered offense and where we think he would land inside the the running backs next year in the ranking. So where do you... I know it's a hypothetical question that you probably have not thought about at all, but where do you think... Le'Veon Bell would rank for you if he ended up going to the Buccaneers in a Bruce Arians offense? Man, if he goes to the Buccaneers, I, I probably have to say that I would put him uh, a mid to low end running back one. Um, I, I think that they will utilize him well. I think he will play well. He'll definitely be a part um, of the game. Um, but, you know, just having that year off, you know, being conscious of that, um, the new offense. I think I think where Le'Veon Bell would really flourish and become maybe that top one, two, three, four running back again would be if Jameis Winston struggles really, really bad and they have to lean on Le'Veon Bell. Um, but I think I, I don't think you're going to see nearly as much as that. Um, I don't know if he's going to be the top five running back that he once was, um, but he lands in a good enough position there in Tampa Bay that he's definitely going to be a running back one for me though. Uh, Kyle, one more question off of the Bruce Arians offense. I see a lot of talk about O.J. Howard. Some good, some bad, because Arians is not known for using his tight ends, but of course he's known for being great offensively, and O.J. Howard is a great offensive tight end. So are you concerned at all with O.J. Howard, or are you hopeful with O.J. Howard? Um, I would be concerned. Um, And I I took a little bit of something on this one, because I didn't love O.J. Howard coming into uh, the 2018 season either. And uh, he played well when he was healthy. So that one, that one, I was extremely wrong on. Uh, so I could end up being wrong on this again. But I, I just, I don't know. I'd be concerned. I think, I think for maybe like dynasty owners or redraft owners, dynasty owners, if they're trying to purchase OJ Howard over the off season, they might panic, thinking, oh, you know, after you get past Kittle, Ertz, and Kelsey, 
Ebron is kind of a, a 1A or a, like a 2 there below the 1A, uh, B, and C. You know, once you get past those guys, all of a sudden you're looking at there's such a steep drop-off that I think fantasy owners are going to be paying to add O.J. Howard based on potential. And tight end's not very deep, so he could have a bad season and still end up as a you know a low-end tight end one. I just fear that in drafts next year and then dynasty owners this offseason, we're going to pay up to get a guy that's just not going to quite return that value that we want. Uh, so, you know, as we, we like to say this on Brodo, that fantasy is, yes, it's about finding and loving those players that do you right. But there's only one champion at the end of the, the year in every league. So that means there's only about 15 players that win someone a championship. So fantasy is also about hating those people who, who do you wrong, those players. Oh, man, how could I fall for this trap yet again? Um, which new head coaching hire do you think is most likely to be setting us up for some traps uh, next year, an offensive hire that you don't think is going to be great for fantasy? You know, I'm really worried about Matt LaFleur and no. uh, in Green Bay because I'm worried about Aaron Jones. Uh, we and the games that Aaron Jones played this year, you know, especially at the beginning of the season after he got done with his, his suspension, were all over Twitter. Free Aaron Jones. This is the guy. Why is Jamal Williams being carries? What are we doing here? Well, then, you know, Matt LaFleur comes in, and this is a guy with the Titans last year that I think really messed up the backfield of Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry. Um, I think they continued the forced pan with Deion Lewis when they should have started to move more and more to Derrick Henry. And then at the end of the season, all of a sudden we see, oh, hey, look at this. You know, Derrick Henry is out here doing some things. Maybe we should have leaned on him a little bit more this season. Maybe the offense would have functioned a little bit better if we had done that. Well, I'm worried we're going to get into Green Bay here, and then all of a sudden it's going to be a timeshare between Aaron Jones and, uh, and Jamal Williams again. And now we lose that value of Aaron Jones becoming – a workhorse running back that we were really hoping to happen at some point in time. So that that situation worries me. Because again, I think it's a trap where fancy owners look at Aaron Jones, look what he did this year, and say, oh, he has to be over Jamal Williams. And then this coaching staff says, no, we're going to go with the committee and we're not necessarily going to give the rock to somebody a uh, majority of the time. Uh, another hire that uh, worries some people, and some people are a giant fan of, is the hire of Adam Gates with the Jets. You have Sam Darnold, who's in his second year, and the way that the NFL goes these days, if you have a young quarterback, you better make the most of it while he's not getting paid, because then you could pay the guys around you. You see that with the Jets. They have $100 million to spend. Uh, they have this young quarterback, and they're bringing in an offensive mind, but at the same time, Gase did not get great fantasy production out of the guys that he was that he coached, most notably Kenyon Drake, who he inexplicably sat every single game. Uh, how do you feel about the Jets' hire of Adam Gase, and do you think this is good, a good thing in the development of uh, Sam Darnold? Uh, I'm really indifferent on this one. I, I don't like it, but I don't want to hate it yet. So um, I'm kind of really in the middle right now of looking at this because of the job he did in Miami. I'm very worried about him coming here and doing something where we're like, oh, you know, where is this? He's supposed to be this QB whisperer. He's supposed to be a guy that's supposed to get the best out of his foot. Well, he didn't do it with Kenyon Drake. And even though a lot of people don't like Ryan Tannehill, I think Ryan Tannehill is a quarterback that is a serviceable NFL quarterback. At times he looked good, and at times he looked awful. So what happened in Miami that all of a sudden we're going to see a change in New York where, quite realistically, I don't love the offense in New York either. I mean, Robbie Anderson had a great end of the season and helped a lot of fancy owners. 
I'm a big fan of Quincy Nibwas. I'm hoping he stays healthy in 2019 and plays the full 16 games. But what are they going to do at running back? Are they going to go get a dynamic running back, a, a guy that is really going to be uh, somebody that can help in the passing game and the run game, that can take the pressure off Sam Darnold? I don't think they have that running back on the roster right now. I like some of the running backs, but I don't think there, any of them are game changers. So are they going to go get somebody like that? We'll have to wait and see how the offense uh, or the, how the offseason plays out before I really start to say I don't like this one. If they don't make, if they don't land the guys necessary in free agency and they don't draft well, then it could be a rough 2019 for them. Thank you so much, Kyle Richardson, for your thoughts on the head coaching hires. Again, Kyle Richardson, senior fantasy analyst, excuse me, for Roto Baller, co-host of the Fantasy Headliners, developer of the Dynamic Running Back Ranking, and member of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association. Kyle Richardson, is there anywhere uh, they could find you on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff? Uh, Twitter is my main is my main focus. So you can follow me at krich. 1532 and go on to YouTube and subscribe to the Fantasy Headliners. Uh, we're doing a lot of off-season content, and we're going to have even more ramping up when the season gets here. So a lot of good stuff coming uh, coming this way. Kyle Richardson, thank you so much for your time, and best of luck to you in the upcoming season. And, you know, us fantasy, those real fantasy guys, we got to stay real. Thanks a lot, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. We are here now with Andy Singleton. He is New York's bravest and fantasy's finest. He is the co-creator of Expand the Box Store, Box Score, excuse me, a contributor for Raz Ball. He's a fantasy football and fantasy baseball expert ranker for fantasy pros. And most importantly, he is from New York, just like the Brodo Bros. Andy Singleton. Say hi to the people. What's up, everybody? This is my third appearance on here, so that's got to be some kind of a record. I think you guys need to get me a jacket or something. Yeah, man, you're you're the uh, you're like the official guest. I think you're our only return guest that we've ever had, ever. <laughs> How about that? All right, so Andy, the Brodo VIP, we we have you on today because we know you know Brodo, and we know you know fantasy specifically. So what we're doing on Brodo is we we had a little um a. Award show. award show, award show, um, nominate nomination special. We gave our award nomination, so I'm gonna run these by you, and I want to see who you agree with on each one. How's that sound? Okay. All right. So I'll be the judge. All right. Great. So our first, um, our first guy is MVP. So what we looked at for MVP is it would be easy to just say, hey, the guy who scored the most points is the MVP, but that's not how we're gonna look at it. We're gonna look at it as someone who. Uh, greatly outproduced their their value and ADP. So the guys that we had first. Oh, and we want to just want to say also, Pat Mahomes is ineligible for any of our awards. He wins the greatest player in the history of fantasy award, so he's not eligible because he should win every award. So he's not eligible for these awards. So the first one is MVP. Our MVP candidates are Devonte Adams, James Conner, and George Kittle. If you had to choose from those three guys, who is your fantasy MVP? Yeah, you know, those are all great options, of course. I'd probably go with Kittle just because he proved to be so valuable at a position that had no consistency uh, outside of Ertz and Kelsey, and then throwing Kittle as well. So I've seen conversations in the last week that suggest Kittle should be a first-round consideration next year. Uh, that's how highly uh, people regard him at this point. So as good as Connor was, uh, he missed some time down the stretch, uh, so that didn't help fantasy owners. You don't win an MVP by missing the playoffs in fantasy. Uh, and Devontae Adams, as good as he had has become and 
that true wide receiver one, I think Kittle just was far and away a separator for a lot of championship teams. So I'll give it to George. That's an interesting thing you said with the first round ADP. I know it's way too early, but is that something that you would consider next year? I mean, I, I think you have to. Uh, I, I really, I really do believe you have to, just because what the position has become, and it's, it's. You, you seen. I mean, this year more, more so than most, I've seen so many people suggesting that tight end be removed as a required starting spot and it'd it be an extra flex. So that just tells you how weak people feel the position is. So if you have a guy that week in and week out is one of your best fantasy players and assets and there's only two other guys in the entire league like that, I, I think that's putting a real premium on just what George Kittle is providing to your fantasy squad. So yeah, I, I mean, you're going to have to draft him at a position and elevate his stock so that you don't miss out and you don't lose him. And uh, the secret's kind of out. On Kittle, so uh, yeah, I think he's strongly in the mix for for that first round. Maybe you know, maybe late second at, at the latest. I'm with you here, man. I uh, I actually put out a top twelve going into next year, a way too early top twelve, and I had Travis Kelsey as my tenth pick, I believe it was, and I had some backlash. But if you could get someone like Kelsey, Ertz, or Kittle, I think you got to reach and get him just because of the value, just because of the positional value that they produce yeah tight end is definitely a place where an mvp is definitely somewhere you find especially when you got kittles production how about this second one most improved player um that's a player obviously that improved um from last year the first guy is chris carson the second guy is michael thomas and the third guy is robert woods yeah, so I don't think that Michael Thomas really improved. I think he just kind of solidified that he is this unique and, and dominant wide receiver. I think Robert Woods was more about backing up what he did last year because, you know, he'd been floating around the league for a couple of years, most notably in Buffalo, and, you know, people kind of were down on him and he flashed last year. People were, you know, wondering could he do it again, and he did it again. So I, I don't necessarily know that that would be an improvement on what he did last season. Uh, so Chris Carson, to me, is the guy because this is what we expected and wanted out of him in 2017. And then, you know, of course, he had all the injuries and never really amounted to that. And then you kind of hear his name floating again in the preseason as Pete Carroll's guy. They go out and draft Rashad Penny, of course. Uh, you know, Mike Davis in the mix as well. And you know Seattle wants to run the ball. So for him to become what he became, I think I would give the nod to him as most improved for the three that you uh, nominated. So this year is not a great rookie draft in terms of offensive players. But one thing that uh, last year had was a plethora of offensive players and three running backs in particular up for our fantasy rookie of the year. Um, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, and Philip Lindsay, three guys that if you had were all running back ones at at least a certain point of the year. So who do you have as your rookie of the year in fantasy? Uh, I think you guys got to give Barkley that Pat Mahomes treatment and count him <laughs> as ineligible for this award. Because he's just already, he's, he might be the best running back in all of football at this point, let alone just the rookies. So I, I, I would have to say Barkley if he is in the running, but if the other two, I would give it to Lindsey over Chubb uh, just because he did it from day one. And uh, I, I like the underdog, his sister follows me on Twitter. We've uh, exchanged uh, a, a few uh, retweets of, of each other's comments on her brother here and there. So I feel I feel close to the Lindsay family. So <laughs> I think I would have to go with Philip on that on that one. He's a great story too, man. You, how could you not root for Philip Lindsay? This yeah, is like he's exactly. like a, you just want to root for him. All right, next question exactly. here. We might need to give him the Barkley treatment again, but we're gonna give him the nod here. Offensive Player of the Year. You're giving it to Saquon Barkley. Christian McCaffrey or Matt Ryan? Oh, you said Matt Ryan? 
Matt Ryan, we're trying to get a little creative here, not go with the obvious names. Matt Ryan ending as the number two quarterback when he wasn't really being drafted as one. You got to give him some love. Uh, I don't, yeah, all right. <laughs> some love, maybe. But I, I, I'm, not, I'm not voting for him. That, that's, I don't know. It's, it's me to even hear his name mentioned. Uh, I definitely, definitely would say Barkley has to be in that mix. Um, but I'm sorry, who, who was the other guy again? Because that's the guy who was gone with. And I forgot the name. Christian he McCaffrey. Said. Oh, there you go, McCaffrey. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he's a record setter now, right? And uh, there was a lot of hype on him this year. I didn't think he would really be able to surpass 150 carries. Uh, he, he he did that, so you know he proved me wrong in that regard. I, I thought the receiving would be there. I'm not surprised by the 100 receptions and you know the thousand yard season and all that kind of stuff. But I was surprised at how effective he was in the running game, uh, especially a couple of those games where he's just racking up ridiculous yardage. So uh, I would have to say he was the biggest surprise to me because of that. Uh, he, he outperformed my expectations. As as lofty as they were, just from the receiving aspect, I would say he still overperformed what I thought he could be. So uh, I will give it to McCaffrey. Barkley actually did kind of what I thought he would do. Uh, I mean, there was a, a mock that I was on on Fantasy Network at the beginning of the season, and I had the fourth overall pick, and Jake Seeley, who's a noted Giant fan, was picking right after me. And I took Barkley at fourth overall, and I said it's because I think it's he's in that four to six range. I think he's that good. And also because I knew Jake was picking right after me, so I was kind of having fun with the mock and blocking Jake from taking him. And I got abused for it by a, a, a you know panel of experts saying that I was reaching and you know forget that it's a mock and forget the fun nature I was trying to have with Jake. And I reached for Barkley at four, and I, I'd have to say I, I, I think he justified that fourth overall pick, at least in 2018. So uh, Barkley did what I thought he would do. McCaffrey didn't, though. He exceeded, so I'll give it to McCaffrey. Yeah, I mean, I think Barkley's probably a lock for the top four next year going in now. So good good call there. Our next category is bust of the year. We're going with three options here of Rob Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette, and Devontae Freeman. Royce Freeman, Andy, not Devontae. I mean, both work, but yeah, it's Royce, not Devontae. Royce Freeman. So of the three, um, all, of course, had injury issues. And I think of the three, we kind of knew Gronk was going to be murky. And it was just kind of like you got you to gotta bite your teeth to take that pick and say, hey, if I'm taking him because of the name, because of how much fun he brings to the game and how dominant he can be when he's on the field. But I know I might not get him for 16 games. So you kind of clench your teeth when you make that pick. I think you kind of know what you're getting into with that. I think Freeman was kind of the same situation. Uh, he, he, Worried about his health. Um, he was, of course, going to start the season okay, but, you know, he was banged up a little last year, and, and that concern was there. Kevin Coleman, of course, you know, barking at his heels. Uh, what Sarkeesian did with that offense over the last two years, uh, there were there were concerns with that as well. So if you took Freeman and you took him where you had to take him, you kind of knew, hey, this could be a letdown as well. Um, so that's going to disqualify those two guys for me. Fournette was still a guy – this is a team that was had full intentions – of competing for another Super Bowl, uh, as they did last year. They, you know, what were they, one game away last year? Uh, the Jaguar season completely was not what anybody expected it to be. And this was a guy at the beginning, beginning of the year you thought was young enough, was the kind of back, the kind of power back that with a good defense would get 20 to 30 carries per game and week in and week out give you 100 yards rushing and a touchdown. So the fact that he felt completely on, on his face in that regard, uh, I would have to, and, and now he might be on his way out of Jacksonville. 
uh, I would say Fournette has to easily be the uh, bust of the year of those three choices. Uh, one guy that, I mean, some guys that could bust next year, but we think are going to have big years. Uh, the next uh, award that we gave out was the way too early steal of the year, a guy that we're going into next year's draft already licking our chops at what could be a low ADP. Um, the three guys that we had were DJ Moore, Dante Pettis, and Michael cheated and put the Robbie Anderson, Sam Darnold stack. So if you had to pick between DJ Moore, uh, Dante Pettis, and the Robbie Darnold stack, which one are you looking forward to next year as a steal potentially? Oh, that's that's these these are tough choices. I want to go, you know, the Jets since I'm a Jet fan. Um, I'll, I'll probably keep it simple and just go there. But Dante Pettis was uh, Dante Pettis was in, in my evaluation of him uh, in last year's draft guide was the ideal prototypical number two wide receiver that ran precise routes and could draw attention enough to release the wide receiver one from double teams. I didn't think he would become a wide receiver one in his own right. And, and with the consistency, he showed down the uh, stretch as well. I don't know if that's a Nick Mullins-Dante Pettis connection or just a Dante Pettis being that good of a wide receiver uh, emergence. So uh, I'll be interested to see the chemistry he has with Jimmy G when he comes back. Um, DJ Moore, I, I, I was not as high on as others coming out of Maryland. Uh, I do think he has potential, but I don't think it'll be week to week consistent. So I, for that reason, would not elevate him to that level of you know breakout of the year. Um, so for for those reasons, I'll default back to my love for Sam Darnold, which I went over on my first appearance on this show at the beginning of the season with you guys, and uh, say Robbie Anderson has solidified himself as that real uh, wide receiver one, you know, high end two option, and that will be my uh, my breakout for 2019 pick sometimes guys are so great but they have these weeks that just make you want to pull your hair out and wonder why you ever drafted them the inconsistency of these kind of superstar guys the most inconsistent guy the pull your hair out award the nominees are michael thomas stefan diggs and sony michelle out of those three guys which one of those guys makes you want to pull the hair out of your head the most yeah, so I don't necessarily get that feeling from Sony Michelle or from Michael Thomas. Uh, I know Thomas's season kind of, uh, you, you know, didn't deteriorate, but kind of calmed down and cooled off a little from that incredibly hot start he got off to. Uh, as far as Sony Michelle, there was an interesting poll going on on Twitter over the last couple of days that Dynasty Jackson put out talking about uh, who would you rather have, player A or player B, and it was Sony Michelle versus Carryon Johnson. And by the numbers, it made Carryon Johnson look good. So when I dog into it a little bit more you see that sony michelle of 13 games five of them he rushed for over 100 yards and then he had the six rushing touchdowns and they were spread out they didn't really come all too much clustered into one game so the consistency of sony michelle week to week he's exactly what i thought he's going to be he was my number two running back in this class after barkley so uh, i'm not so sure that of those two i would say that they were making me pull my hair out uh week to week uh, I would like to have a write-in vote if I could, and that would be uh, Corey Davis, if, if possible, because um, you know he was being drafted pretty highly and and pretty well thought of as you know taking huge leaps this year. And I don't think anybody still questions his talent or abilities, uh, but it just hasn't transpired yet. And that's crazy to say because we love Mariota as recently as two years ago. Um, so for that team to kind of you know, for it to look like the blame is on the quarterback there is really kind of baffling. Uh, who, who's the other, the, the third guy you said again? Uh, Diggs. 
Yeah, so it would have to be Dixon if you think. And that, that again, goes more to the quarterback of Cousins. Uh, also more to the fact that, you know, Adam Thielen just kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, two years ago, people were like, yeah, uh, if you can get anything for Thielen, take it in the Dynasty League. And now fast forward, and he's like one of the most untouchable guys you can find. Um, so I would I would say Diggs just because it was – running mate is at this point so we're gonna throw we're gonna throw the andy singleton special in there we'll put Corey davis on the polls for the fans um but before we get into the, that again can you just tell us about expand the box score a little bit this is a, a website that has a ton of resources uh that are fantastic for the fantasy owner you're the co-creator uh, of it if you can give us a little bit of background on expand the box score and how people could use it in their upcoming draft season and also for their upcoming drafts yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. And this really was built out of a need, as you might have heard me say a couple of times. I've uh, been doing draft analysis for six years now. And uh, every year that I go and start trying to compare players, most notably wide receivers, and try to find targets for guys, it just I haven't been able to find it. I mean, there are some places that exist, uh, but the amount that they charge is it's just kind of prices you know me out as well as others. Uh, so I hooked up with a partner, Brian Cree, who is a, a data wizard and spreadsheet you know uh genius and uh we basically put together a uh, a site that gives you expanded college statistics we're starting with college football we're planning to expand to other sports but um we're, we're just with college football right now uh basically feature every division one player there's all kinds of things in there from red zone efficiency to first downs fumbles targets as i mentioned where it all started um, we, we have customizable sliders where you can put anybody you want in there, whether it be by team, by conference, by just players. Uh, you could set the sliders for anything you want, you know, a minimum number of carries or targets or receptions. Uh, you, you can, think, you know, we have uh, preset data points in there that give you ideas of how many uh, yards per touch they had, uh, when their touches came, what quarters. Uh, we, we have graphs and bar graphs that break down every single play that a player was involved in, uh, what game it was from, where in the field it was, everything like that. Our QB uh, profiles are, are ridiculous. They tell you each quarterback's specific receiver and how they work them throughout the season. Uh, we've also added down and distance situations to our, our regular player profiles that will tell you, for instance, like a running back, like uh, how many carries he had on first and 10 as opposed to second and short or you know third and long, for instance. Uh, so it's really just an insane amount of information that's up there for you to use however you see fit and get to know these college players uh, intimately. And we're doing it all for the low, 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 low price of just $10 for a full year's access. That's not daily. That's not weekly or monthly. That's $10 for the entire year. You get unlimited access. So, Andy, since Expand the Box Score basically covers every single statistic possible for college players, what would you say is your secret weapon statistic? The one that you look at to really analyze a player, whether it be a quarterback or running back. What do you, what do you think that other people should utilize more? Uh, it, it really varies for me. I mean, it depends on what players we're looking at. It depends on, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to put in a nutshell. Uh, you know, I was watching the LSU game yesterday and looking at their sophomore wide receiver, Jefferson, and just noting that, you know, he had a lot of targets and a lot of receptions as a sophomore in an offense that doesn't traditionally pass too much. Um, then you go and you look at a guy like, uh, I want to say, uh, Anthony Johnson from Buffalo, who, you know, had over 100 receptions and was one of the 
nation's leaders and targets. And, um, you know, that's, that's from Buffalo. So it's a totally different system. It's not the SEC, anything like that. So, uh, you know, that, that kind of makes you feel maybe more like your Corey, Corey uh, Davis, you know, uh, comps like what we were talking to before and i'm not competent to each other um but my point being that it, it really kind of you have to weigh in what the conference is and what the school is and and you know players around them as well but it gives you a, a good image and a good impression of how players are being used uh where they're being used uh some of the other players that were involved in the bowl games i was noticing um like Reichwell armstead from temple a uh, great running back he didn't play in the bowl game this year but if you notice he was averaging uh, six over six yards per touch in the first half, and that dropped down to uh, just uh, four yards per touch in the second half. Um, so then it, it makes me want to look and dive into this guy a little bit more and, and try to figure out what was going on in the second half of Temple games that made him lose two yards off his per touch average. Um, so you can do, like I said, all sorts of things with this. And I, I, I want to be, um, I want to make one clarification though. It, we have, I would say, ninety eight percent of stats that you can get and. Uh, Basically, our our domain name kind of encapsulates what we are. We're expanding the box score, so we're taking the raw data, the raw statistics. What I mean by that is you're not going to get certain things such as broken tackles or average depth of target or yards after the catch, things like that, because that that's coming from actual eyes on the game and, and watching the full game and scouting the full game. And some of those stats can be speculative. Um, did the defender trip and you count it as a broken tackle? Or did he actually stiff on the guy and break a tackle? Uh, so while those are good, I don't think they're always 100% accurate, whereas I feel like ours are more just the raw data and they tell you exactly how many carries this guy had, where on the field they came from, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you guys want to have uh, fun? Take take Andy's box scores and then go to true target value and true um, – True reception, true reception value. True throwing, true throwing value, true throwing value, through, through target value, and go on brotoff.com and try and see like, oh, if this player got drafted by this team, how what potential would he have? You'll get lost in it for days. Again, thank you so much, Andy Singleton. Again, co-creator of expandthebossscore.com, a contributor for Razball, also a fantasy football and baseball expert ranker for fantasy pros. Andy Singleton, the only repeat guest. In the history of the Brodo Fantasy Podcast, thank you so much for joining us again. Appreciate you guys having me, man. It's always a blast, and uh, I love talking with my New Yorkers, so uh, thanks for having me, and I uh, uh, hope I didn't disappoint your audience. Oh, uh, never. You could never disappoint, Andy. Thank you so much, and enjoy the family, huh? Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right, man. Happy New Year. Take it easy. Thank you for checking out our interviews we greatly appreciate it uh this is the time where we plug ourselves so if you want to follow brodo fantasy on twitter you can find us just there at brodo fantasy also on instagram at brodo fantasy also on facebook brodo fantasy football also on soundcloud brodo fantasy football also on apple Podcasts. brodo fantasy you see where i'm going with this usually you just type in brodo fantasy or brodo fantasy football and you'll find us you can find me at jason patrop michael at mike patrop underscore patrop sorry tim at tim patrop And that's about it. Of course, check out brotofantasy.com or brotoff, whichever you prefer to type. They'll both send you to the same place. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week.